Yeah, so we're continuing a discussion that was started on the listserv about the difficulty that we sometimes experience communicating uh, with one another as therapists and, uh, uh, you know, the frustrations that can come with the use of language. And uh, you had uh, suggested using language in a more plastic way, um, maybe in a more playful way, in a more malleable way. So maybe we could explore this a little further. Certainly, certainly. Um, well, what I was what I was alluding to basic, basically was that that very often a discussion of a case becomes um, the framing of a of an experience that is identified and then described in one language or another. And I, my personal experience is that to listen to two individuals of different, of different persuasions talk about something often opens up that um, behavior or phenomena or focus into something else in which it seems to me that it would be more comfortable to um, sort of leave or abandon the need to reframe it in any in one set of terms versus the other and just to talk about it in a broader in a broader way yeah so in other words um, that the temptation comes to to translate, to reframe it in um, in another theoretical framework, and uh, in doing that, we lose uh, some uh, some quality. Whereas putting it in a wider framework actually would probably enable the conversation to go further. Right, and and, and I think perhaps sometimes the framework is simply the richest and, and fullest description one might make of a, of, of a piece of behavior or a, or a set of circum, circumstances without um, feeling the need to put it into one framework or the other, or at least um, to hold that temptation in abeyance for a little while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, that... Um you know, that reminds me of um, somebody who had a big influence on me, Ivana Gazarian. She used to have, uh, or she has a, uh, a phrase called explore, don't explain. And uh, that seems very similar to what you're, uh, you're discussing. Yes, and in fact, that's a marvelous example. I remember uh, being in a group with Ivan um, at Northeast Society for Group Psychotherapy, and we were with... Um, South American group Lacanian from uh, I'm blocking his name at the moment he's from uh, the Washington School of Psychiatry and um, we were able to talk coherently and interact coherently with one another um, for a while but then at a particular point the members of the group found we, we found ourselves in a position that was sort of beyond um, language or concepts and we were all just sort of sort of there 
and um, I think in a sense that's what I'm what I'm talking about. One can um, one can reduce or or um, put something into a particular kind of a framework, but to be purely mindful of that, to be purely in the moment involves so much it a particular point sometimes makes more sense to go into the experience than to um, back up stand outside and then put it into um, a framework mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um, you know not put it in the framework uh you know, directly from framework to framework, um, recall the experience, find a way to share the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in the context of what we're talking about, for instance, uh, some of the conversations that we can have on the list serve, uh, that it would be, you know, helpful when the discussion reaches a certain level to then back off and go back to the experience and find a way to communicate, share it, recall similar experiences that other people may have. I would, I would, I would agree. And, and actually, the more you talk about it in those terms, I think the less, at least for me, the temptation would be to um, try to. Um, justify or solidify a particular point of view and the more I could see the um, broadening and deepening of the discussion coming out of a um, sharing that um, perhaps was beyond either particular framework. I mean, um, perhaps just getting concretely in, into an experience would be an easier way to avoid blockages or uh, some sort of retrench. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm noticing in your language you used uh, words like uh, solidify and blockages and uh, and in contrast, uh, you know, we seem to be aiming for a sort of fluidity. And um, it reminds me of um, something we talked about uh, before, about uh, thinking of language as transitional objects. So that seems to be an appropriate point to bring that up. Yes, I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, at what point is it use, useful to be, to concretize something, to... Um, Flesh it out to give it a form, and then take that form and put it in a put it in a particular theoretical framework. And at what point does it become useful to allow that framework to dissolve or dissipate, if you if you will, and and to um, be available for perhaps another kind of um, reformulation or a, or a uh, Broadening and further elaboration of of what seems seems to be important to touch on. 
So, so again, I want to to highlight uh, as I'm hearing you the the choice of words. You know, on the one hand, you have a word like framework, which feels very solid, very uh, you know, very much like a framework, a frame, uh, you know, something that is fairly rigid. And on the other hand, you're talking about dissolve, and um, uh, so so that uh, that alternance, that uh, that you know, things are not just rigid but there is the possibility of things that seem very rigid to actually dissolve and change shape and reform and uh, in the whole uh, choice of word of transitional object the idea that something can be very solid one moment but it that solidity is actually just a means to an end and it can shift yes i i would i would agree i would agree with that i mean the one um, one could Take, for instance, the example of sitting, sitting in, in silence. How long does one let that go on? At what point does it become something that you name? At what point is one participating in that silence inside oneself? At what point is one drawing the attention away from the silence that both people are sitting into and focusing? On the other things that are going on, I, I mean, there, there there are an infinite number of ways in which one can um, notice color, structure, name, um, and and experience in a number of, in, in an infinite number of, of um, points that one one can one can look at look at it an experience from. So, what point does one um, begin to give it form and at what point does one begin to let it become formless mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is, that, is that coherent enough well um, you know as you use that experience what comes to me is the old um, metaphor of the different faces of the diamond so that um, you're talking about the different things that we can focus on the color or whatever of the, of the experience, uh, but that uh, in a way through whichever angle we're looking at it, uh, that uh, sense that it's only an arbitrary and partial way of looking at it. And uh, that uh, in that and that you know, beyond that mixture of entry points of the different faces of the diamond, there's that essential formlessness. Yes, and I, I think the, um, um, I'm wrestling with uh, doing a paper on Jung's Red Book at the moment, so I've come across a number of quotations of his I'd never come across before, and he had one uh, quotation that particularly struck me as a little like a Zen Cohen first came across it he says a, f- a fool lives here or there but never here and there <laughs> uh, it, it's pretty it's a pretty rough take on anybody who doesn't have it, the kind of insight he feels he does but on the on the other hand it, it's a marvelous way of looking at what you can articulate and how you can experience and how the ability to be in both places simultaneously is something quite different. But so, you know, the what it brings up for me since, uh, you know, to bring it back to, to the topic 
is in a way the fool's argument is you have fool A saying we're here and fool B saying no we're there and uh, our goal is to be here and there yes yes ab- absolutely and the place where we we are in both places is, is a place that one is in not in in either position and I think perhaps one might also to further complicate the matter look, look at our own internal Greek chorus of part objects or self objects and um, the way in which the, the whole is, is greater than any one of those particular perspectives we can take at any moment and then when we bring it out to a conversation on a listserv say around a particular case we can we can go back and forth and lose the the um, greater complexity by hewing too much to a uh, one point of view versus the other yeah so so that in a way uh, from that perspective any uh, clinging on to one point of view is um, is is an oversimplification and a loss uh, is insisting on their here as opposed to their here and there and uh, then from that place we lose the possibility of having um, some connecting antenna uh, that can connect to somebody else's multiple antenna right yeah, I wonder, I wonder if, it, if there was some way we could concretize it. Um, yeah. With yeah. an example. Yeah. I mean, I find, I don't know how that sounds to you. No, I, I would love, I would love to do that. I would love to do that as a, as a, as a question, uh, to say, okay, so how, what do we do with it? So I have an idea in the back of my mind. I don't know if you have one. Uh, I have one too, but uh, why don't you shoot? <laughs> okay, so it would be to simply, in a way, uh, at some point, you know, and earlier rather than later in the discussion, but if possible, but backing off and saying, hmm, what is this to me, or what is this to you, what does this evoke to you, what does this evoke to me? Uh, and it would seem that it would be a way to broaden a little bit instead of, in a way, narrowing and uh, and sharpening the focus uh, to kind of, you know, kind of open it up a little bit. That sounds like a great idea. So what's your suggestion? Um, I was, uh, I, I think what you're suggesting is fine. What I, I was thinking a bit um, about the, um, about difficult patients dealing with difficult issues. Cause mm-hmm. I, I guess because my, uh, when I first, came into clinical work um, it was at the tail end of what some referred to as the heroic era of psychoanalytic treatment of schizophrenia and, and character disorders and schizophrenics were really um, for treating psychosis you either had medication or no medication medications that snowed and made it difficult that were administered by people who were less interested in doing treatment and treatments that were administered by really so the wild men and women of psychoanalytic psychiatry who were capable of, 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 of bringing about experiences with patients that seemed to be quite meaningful. Mm-hmm. I think for me, integration was 
started with that particular point and then moved forward as we began to experiment and feel more comfortable with a wide variety of different kinds of techniques and using medications that were not quite so um, extreme in their impact of people on people. So if I were going to work with somebody who was extraordinarily um, idiosyncratic in their thinking or um, had a very difficult time mo modulating their affects or talking with another person in a in a way that um, allowed them a certain amount of idiosyncrasy in their thinking, but but the flexibility to um, bring that back into the therapeutic relationship for somebody that was was so um, caught up in the, the problems they had modulating their their anger and their behavioral responses to that. A, 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 medication or a variety of ways of engaging with that person would allow what you couldn't contain or would lead to something other than therapy to be contained in a relationship between two people. Mm -hmm. Although as I begin to talk about it, I kind of think that your, your example might be a, a, a better one because you could come up with something concrete. I could react to that and then we could go back and forth with that and perhaps that well, you know, it, it, I mean, I, I actually, what I'm struck about is actually, in a way, you're applying, it's a, you know, you're talking, as we're talking about finding something, uh, what's happening is you are bringing back a larger experience. So, in a way, you're coming up and saying, you know, it's, I, uh, you know, what I'm hearing is, it's not just Okay, it's not just a simple thing. It's not just a simple step. Uh, it brings me back to this, and this was the experience, and these were the times, and there were the kinds of people, and this was the problem. And so, in a way, it's kind of uh, shifting into a whole gestalt of, uh, you know, the, the kind of complex situation and how to deal with it. Uh, as opposed to, um, uh, you know, just like a quick uh, couple of words to describe something. Right. I, I think in a, in a way when you put it like that, it, I guess the other example that comes to mind to me are the transitions that one makes, or I find myself making, it, say, for instance, I'm doing a disability evaluation um, with somebody who spent a great deal of time in prison and was extraordinarily um, violent and in their younger days could terrorize neighborhoods. The experience of them coming in, not knowing me, sitting down with me, and then the two of us getting to know one another and moving from an initial position in which nothing, not very much is going on to a position which is quite beyond where either one of us was and they're talking about their current life and where they are in a way that's opening and evoking things for me I wouldn't have noticed otherwise. So I can move back when it comes time to um, make a clinical formulation and I can sort of be aware as I go along, you know, in the way in which a doctor might, might conduct a physical exam um, to see what's going on here, what's the person feeling here, how do these 
responses go to mm-hmm. what do they tell me about the individual but that's not the that's not the experience of of, of moving from uh, two individuals who don't know very much about one another each of whom has an agenda or a way of looking at it to something that's much more um you know, I want to I want to just stop you here because it just uh, there's something very striking about the image you you use. I was listening. You just said two individual moving toward each other, and um, you know, as you're saying that, I have this visual of uh, almost in a cartoony way two cavemen, but uh, in a way, just um, uh, you know, if you imagine that cartoony thing of two cavemen, so. It's a, it's a concept of at the origins of time, at the origins of consciousness. And so that sense of moving together, moving toward each other, uh, is a little bit what we're trying to do as we're trying to exchange ideas. We're trying to move toward each other. And so uh, there is this process of negotiation, reassurance, uh, you know, sending, uh, sending signals, picking up and exchanging. Uh, that is going to allow for that peaceful getting together in the case of the caveman and maybe that uh, in a discussion we have too often the tendency to you know to use a uh, to to kind of uh, attack or be pointed or be sharp as opposed to first uh, defining the safe common sphere um, yes, actually, your uh, image it caught me off guard initially, and then uh, thinking, thinking of my myself and the um, and the uh, one of the inmates I was working with, or he wasn't an inmate anymore. Re- recently, it did remind me a bit of two cavemen. But um, there is a um, quotation uh, from Madame Bovary by Gustav Gustav Flaubert that that um, seems to be reminiscent of, of what we're trying to talk about and it goes like this human speech is like a cracked kettle on which we tap crude rhythms for bears to dance to while we don't make music to melt the stars <laughs> I, I, haven't, I, I, I haven't read Madame Bovary I forget where this, this came from I think to some extent it it it, it captures the uh, simultaneous um, attempt to describe the situation and yet uh, to convey a, a a long a longing or a goal that's quite beyond the language. Yeah. So actually, maybe would you mind as a as a closing to to this conversation, rereading the quotation, just to make sure that it's. Uh it's hard. Sure. Human speech is like a cracked kettle on which we tap crude rhythms for bears to dance to while we long to make music to melt the stars. And that's from Madame Bovary by Gustave Flaubert. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you, Serge. This recording is part of the podcast at relationalimplicit.com. I, I haven't read Madame Bovary. I forget where this this came from. I think to some extent it it it, it captures the uh, simultaneous um, attempt to describe the situation and yet uh, to convey a, 
a, a long a longing or a goal that's quite beyond the language. Yeah. So actually, maybe would you mind as a as a closing to to this conversation, rereading the quotation, just to make sure that it's uh, it's hard. Sure. Human speech is like a cracked kettle on which we tap crude rhythms for bears to dance to, while we long to make music to melt the stars. And that's from Madame Bovary by Gustave Flaubert. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you, Serge. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com.